There are three important facts in tonight's gospel that I would like to highlight. The first one is that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is Christ, as Peter confessed him. The second one is that he had to suffer, be rejected, die, and rise after three days. And the third is that if we wish to follow him, we need to deny ourselves and pick up our crosses. The first point that Jesus is the Messiah is the beginning of discipleship, or what we call conversion. It's the first step is this recognition that Jesus is not merely a prophet or a spiritual leader or an important religious figure among many, but the Son of God made flesh, the one anointed by God to rescue humankind from darkness and lead us to light, to communion with God and with each other. And this first step, this first recognition, personal recognition from your heart that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the one that had to come, is usually marked by truth and by love. We realize that the gospel is true we realize that it is actually a true story, that he actually took our flesh and really died on the cross for our sins and truly rose from the dead victorious. It's a true story. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Surprised by Joy, he tells the story of his own conversion. And he says that he thought up to then that Christianity was a, kind of like a myth a beautiful story, like so many other stories, ancient stories. But then in a, one night, preceded by many graces, but one night he had this long conversation with Tolkien. Tolkien was a Catholic, is a, was a Catholic writer. And he realized that, yes, it is true. Christianity is a story, but it's a true story. That it actually happened. That was the turning point for C.S. Lewis in his conversion. So when we realize this, or we have a deeper understanding of this, because this is not one in a lifetime type of event. It is, it has a moment usually, but then we go back to it again and again. It can happen to you if you're having, for example, a silent moment of prayer before the blessed sacrament, say, and then you are looking at the host and you realize this is true. This is amazing. Jesus Christ is there in that little piece of host. It's mind-blowing. So you go back to that point where you, you realize the truthfulness of our faith. And with that truth comes love, because it not only speaks to our mind, but it also speaks to our heart. When you realize that it's true, then you love more. You are touched by the reality of the cross, by the reality of the Blessed Sacrament, for example. By the, you know, by the power and the glory and the beauty of Jesus Christ. Usually this first step and those renovations, those moments when we go back to it again, are a response to a grace. God touches us, our heart, and then we respond by believing and by loving. John Paul II wrote once, the gospel kerygma 
is the initial ardent proclamation by which a person is one day overwhelmed and brought to the decision to entrust himself to Jesus Christ by faith. I realize this is true. I realize this is beautiful. And I decide to entrust myself, to surrender, and to become a disciple. Until we have not entrusted ourselves to Jesus Christ by faith, we are not yet disciples, really. We might be curious about Jesus, that is good, admire him. We might be seekers, we might be open to him, that's even better. But until you have said in your heart like Peter, in a personal way, you are the Messiah, you are the one, you are the Son of God, and decided to entrust yourself to him, to surrender, you're not really a disciple. You're not really walking behind him. Okay, so this is a very important step that might have happened in your life maybe many years ago, may, maybe recently, but that you're called to renew somehow, go back to it and make it deeper. Because our spiritual life is not a line. It's more or less like a, like a cycle. We go back to it again and we go deeper, just like the liturgical cycle, if you think about it. Each year we have to go back to Holy Week and remind, remember and celebrate that he died on the cross and that he rose again. And each year we have Christmas and we understand deeper the truthfulness of that and the beauty of that. But as important as it is, it is a first step. Going from no faith or a mere cultural faith to a personal decision to follow the Lord is a first step that is renewed. With this decision or this renewal, usually comes like a season of wonder and joy. Everything is new. We discover or rediscover the bright side of Christianity. There's a new love for God, a new capacity to love others. There's a new hope, new horizons, new relationships that come into play, as if a whole world unfolds before our eyes. Great. But this bright side of Christianity that is somehow offered to us in different moments of our life is still immature. Because it is a lot about oneself and the gains of faith. We see all the advantages of being disciples. We kind of understand what is there for me. Why is this good for me? What is the light that I receive for my own life? This is what happened to the apostles as they were following the Lord in Galilee. They got to witness his amazing miracles, his profound teachings. They enjoyed and benefited from his popularity. They had a new sense of purpose. They went from being random fishermen to leaders in Israel. And they even harbored hopes of rising to political power as Jesus seemed to them destined to rule over Israel. We can see that in their interactions, in their hidden conversation, hidden from the Lord, when they argued about who would you know, be on the right side, on the left side of Jesus when he got to power. So they were happy to be his disciples. They were happy to be his apostles. There were many gains and not many losses in that. But then, once the Lord saw that they were ready 
Once Peter proclaimed and others said amen to that, you are the Christ, he begins to teach them openly about his cross. We just heard. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer greatly, be rejected, be killed, and rise after three days. He's very clear with him, with them, very clear. As if he were saying, this is not going to be easy. I'm not going to save the world through political power, but through atonement on the cross. My salvation comes from inside out, from each heart overflowing to families, communities, and social institutions. So the way that Jesus was going to change our hearts was through the cross, through his redemptive suffering, as we heard in the first reading of Isaiah. Peter does not want to have it. He rejects this turn of events and dares to rebuke the Lord, has the audacity to, to, to correct the Lord, to say, no, Lord, this is not going to happen. You're wrong. And what is the reaction of Jesus? He doesn't say, okay, Peter, you're right. He says, get behind me, Satan. It's pretty strong with him, right? You are thinking like human beings think, not like God thinks. And then something amazing happens. Jesus gathers the crowds that were following him and tells them and tells us today that the cross is not only the pattern that he would follow through which he was going to save the world, but also that if we want to become his disciples, we need to deny ourselves and pick up our crosses. So somehow it was going to be our pattern as well if we want to follow him. I always think that, often think that if I were, if I would have been there, I would have sided with Peter. I would have said, hey, Peter, let's, let's convince the Lord not to say these type of things because no one will follow him. He keeps saying these things. But, you know, this, that's a human being thing, not how God thinks. If you wish to follow me, deny yourself and pick up your cross. So let's stay in these two expressions for a moment. Deny yourself and pick up your cross. Why, why do we have to deny ourselves? And what's, what does it even mean? Because it does imply a Christian anthropology, a Christian perspective of who we are as human beings. We are good, creator in the image of likeness of God. We have this noble and high aspirations, we are, but we are touched by sin. We tend to pride, we tend to selfishness. So we need some work, right? We need some improvement. We need some pruning, some purification, if we are to become the people that we are called to be. If we're going to be holy one day, there's room for improvement, to say the least. We don't drift towards the best version of ourselves. So to deny yourself means to say to the self, I don't want to hear your claims anymore. You're too demanding. You're too self-centered. So from now on, it, not, it will not be about me anymore. It will be about Jesus.
and his kingdom. To deny ourselves is a movement to put to death self-centeredness or selfishness, if you want. It's impossible to die to selfishness without denying ourselves. Because we tend, our natural tendency is to become the center and to make everything about me and everyone around me about me. A famous preacher wrote once, it is not about you. The purpose of your life is far greater than your own personal fulfillment, your peace of mind, or even your happiness. It's far greater than your family, your career, or even your wildest dreams and ambitions. If you want to know why you were placed on this planet, you must begin with God. You were born by his purpose and for his purpose. So to be, to be able to be open to put God at the center, we need to die to ourselves, to deny ourselves. We need to say to the Lord, not my will, but yours. It's a powerful prayer, not my will, but yours. There's a short expression of this in, in the Our Father, thy will be done, we repeat. The good news is that God's will and purpose for us for our, is far better than our own. He's far more wise and good and loving and powerful. So we deny ourselves not because we are masochists and, masochists and we you know, enjoy suffering, but because we trust. We trust God and we do not trust so much ourselves. We acknowledge that we need improvement, that we are sinners, and that we need to work. How do we deny ourselves? What, how, what can we do? First, we can practice discipline. Discipline for our appetites. Discipline for our passions. Discipline for our urges. Discipline for our bodily needs. We have physical needs, right? But they're mostly about ourselves. I am hungry. I am sleepy. I am anxious. I have this or that desire. I have this or that need. I feel good. I feel bad. So you learn to say no to some of those desires. Not to all of them, but to some. And when you do that, you claim control over your passions and your body and your needs. It's like you make a step of freedom. So no, I'm not speaking now about saying no to sin. I take that for granted now. I'm saying those innocent good things that you could indulge in, but you will say no. I could do this, I could do that, but I say no. Why? To deny myself, to put that into practice, to exercise that spiritual muscle, so to say, that teaches the self to get out of the center. This is one of the reasons for fasting, for example, in the Christian practice or for Christian mortification. Okay, some discipline. You can think about that throughout this week, how disciplined you are, how are you in control of your passions and your desires, how much they you know, they, they are in control of you and how much you are in control. The second thing is that you can seek 
and fight against any manifestation of selfishness. You try to eliminate everything that shocks, annoys, distresses, worries others, makes their life harder or he heavier. You know, St. Paul wrote to the Galatians, bear one another's burdens, and so you will fulfill the law of Christ. So help each other. Let others first. Learn to lose when there's nothing at stake. Don't, don't go first. Seek the last place. You know, find a way to die to your selfishness. We all have it. And finally, pick up your cross. So we don't have to seek for new crosses, but we are expected to pick up the ones that we have, the one that is now in our life, tonight. It could be a heavy cross, it could be a health issue, a family problem, a financial problem, something that is difficult, or it could be the light inconveniences of, of daily life. The Lord is saying, embrace it, pick it up. It's there on the floor, pick it up and carry it. It doesn't mean that you don't wanna overcome those difficulties. For sure, you want, if you're sick, you wanna get healthy again. But while that cross is with you, embrace it. Instead of being resentful and bitter about it, just embrace it and trust in God that through that cross is doing something beautiful in your life and in the life of those around you. And through that cross, you are crucified with him. And you can be a sacrifice with him for God. And as you accept that, you die to yourself and something new comes in, 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 something in, in, instead. Something more humble, more loving, more sweet, more understanding, more fruitful. Listen, and with this I finish. This is the secret of joy. As counterintuitive as it sounds, it is the secret of joy because when we deny ourselves, move by our faith, and pick up our cross, we learn what true freedom is. The more we overcome selfishness, the more we gain control of our life and we offer it up, to God, the freer we are. This is why the Lord says, for whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and that of the gospel will save it.